Hello and welcome to this week's episode of HR Coffee Time. I'm Faye Wallace, a career coach and outplacement specialist and the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. I've made HR Coffee Time especially for you to help you have a fulfilling and successful HR career without working yourself into the ground. And today's episode with Joe Taylor covers more of the without working yourself into the grounds part than I had expected it to. I'd invited her onto the show to talk about succession planning, but I found myself going completely off topic at the beginning of the interview, as Joe and I ended up chatting about the pressures of work, not burning out, coping with stress and grief, and having a really busy workload. So although I'd arranged the interview to help you with your technical HR skills, as in how to approach succession planning as effectively as possible. It's also ended up taking a long look at your work from a more holistic perspective as well. We move on to the succession planning part of the interview about 15 minutes in, and Jo explains what succession planning is, how to plan for the future, why the traditional nine box grid method doesn't work and what to use instead, And she also has some really helpful examples of organisations who are doing succession planning well. So I really hope that you're going to find the interview helpful. So Jo, it's so wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. I'm really excited to talk about succession planning. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And before we dive straight into the nitty gritty of succession planning, it would be wonderful if you could just share a little bit of information about yourself and also about Let's Talk Talent. Cool. No problem. It's really nice to be able to talk about myself because normally I'm on the other side and I'm interviewing people. So hi everyone, I'm Jo Taylor, I'm MD of Let's Talk Talent, and I've had a truly squiggly career, starting off at the BBC in program making and managing a department, to managing a brand at Channel 4 for underrepresented groups into the media, which was kind of my seminal job where I feel felt like I was linking my purpose and my values to actual work and was getting paid to give people opportunities, so what's better than that? And then I moved into a global role at Talk Talk, where I looked after the employee experience. The title was Director of Talent and Organisational Development. But in effect, I kind of ran the people, you know, I ran how we recruited, how we retained and developed people in the organisation. And I think that's what gives me purpose and why I set the business up. I had this itch that I wanted to scratch. that I didn't feel I could do in corporate life, which was unlocking people's potential because what we tend to ask in and let's talk talent is if you get great people and you keep great people the potential and the possibilities are endless but what are you developing people for so that's the work that we do from consultancy through to solutions ultimately and I feel very privileged every day to get out of bed and make money from something that people could say is really simple but actually, for me, goes to the heart of who I am and what the legacy I want to leave within organisations. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us all of that background. And yeah, so effectively, you're living the dream. I'd like to think that. I'm not so sure at sort of seven or eight in the morning and finishing sunrise at midnight. Some people think the consultancy is, as you say, living the life. But I think we work harder because we're actually not always responsible for the implementation of projects. So 
I feel very lucky, but I also know that there's a privilege, you know, that comes responsibility and that you are coaching a lot of the time. You are sometimes cajoling, you're partnering, and sometimes you're telling the business what to do. And I'm very lucky with the clients that we work with that they allow me into their world for the time. But I'm also very aware that we need the business to allow it to flourish and embed. Our job is to set them up with the guide rails and um, give them the tools and techniques. But ultimately, the business needs to live and breathe it. Otherwise, we haven't done the right job, I think, as consultants. It's so interesting to hear that because, yes, it's really easy to, I guess, have the what's the word misperception misconception that actually if you are getting to do work that really ties in with your values that that means that yeah you're living the dream and and life is really easy but actually if you are really passionate about your work as well and especially when you have your own business and work for yourself it can mean that you start putting in a lot of hours to make sure that everything's happening. I remember partly I started working for myself and set up Bright Sky so that I could have flexibility around my family, as which is part of my values, as well as doing work that you know really feels like it's having an impact and that I find incredibly rewarding. And someone said to me, Oh, I think it was a few months ago about how lucky I was to work for myself and how I must have this amazing work-life balance. And my son overheard the conversation and he went, what do you mean? Mummy works harder now than than whenever she had a job before. But actually, it it doesn't really feel like it's, yeah, that it's it's such hard work because I do enjoy it so much. But before we've even got into succession planning, actually, Joe. One of the things I say at the opening of every single HR Coffee Time episode is helping you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without working yourself into the ground. And hearing you and I speak straight away, it actually, I think, probably gives a bit of an insight as to partly why that's my strap line. I think that people who do work in the people profession, we've often chosen to do that because it does align with our values and we really care. But there's a big risk there that I can see with you and with me that actually we could end up working too hard. So before we even get into the main contacts, I'm wondering if you have got any tips as to how you do keep your well-being in mind and do stop yourself from working yourself into the ground. So I'm absolutely rubbish at this. So I am not the role model, Faye. That is absolutely, you know, hands down. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said use the word care. I think when you care about a person or a business or having that goal in mind, that kind of North Star, you will work harder, you will work faster and you will work longer. So for me, I had a moment in the, um, on Monday where we're doing a big project, competency project at the moment, and we needed to get this. We promised the client it by noon on the Tuesday. And I got the first draft of what was going to be sent. And then, and it was no disrespect to the person who was working on it, but I had a bit of a freak out. And my tendency, because I have high deliverer, and you know, if any of you have done strength scope or motivational maps, delivery is one of my top drivers. What gets me out of bed every morning is to kind of deliver and list and all of those types of things. And I had to stop myself jumping in to actually do the work. So I ended up having a call with the two other people that working with me on the team. We worked out a plan, but I stayed up till midnight 
making changes after they'd done that. And I was absolutely exhausted on the Tuesday morning. And I thought to myself, okay, what could I have done differently? And I came to the realization that that's who I am. And I, and I always have done that throughout my career. You know, when my husband was alive, he used to sit next to me and he used to literally physically close the laptop at 7.30. And he said, we're going to watch telly or we're going to have dinner now or something. And I had that. And now, in a way, not having him here has, has actually exacerbated that for me. So what I, I think you have to know yourself really well. And I, I know myself. I'm very, very driven. I come from an entrepreneurial family. My father's run his own business for many, many years. The role models that are in my life are like that. But I always say to my team, just because I, repl- I email at nine o'clock at night doesn't mean you need to reply. So I think you have to, I think you have to balance as a leader of a business to know and play to your strengths. Because at the moment, for me, work keeps me going. So I know at the moment I put a lot of energy into, into work because that's keeps sustaining my mental health. But I'm starting to build habits like taking the dog out. You know, I'm thinking about buying a place in Italy to get some more balance. I make time to um, go out at the weekends. I hardly in the house at the weekends so that I'm not tempted to look at my email and the computer. But I think at the moment, it's important to me to keep that. But there's too much pressure coming from organisations to be permanently on. So as an HR leader working in a business, I think you have to look after yourself. And I think you have to ask for support. And I think you have to realize that sometimes you're okay to have the super cape on flapping behind you. And other times it's all right to be vulnerable and to say, I'm not okay. And I need some help and turn the computer off and get away from it. But as I said, I'm, I'm not a role model in this. And I don't think I will ever be because work is an intrinsic part of who I am. And I get a huge amount of joy from that. So therefore, I put a lot more pressure on myself than perhaps is healthy or I would want your listeners to take (laughs) and start to do. It's interesting to hear that even though you feel it's helping you keep on going and in many ways it's good for your mental health, that you have started to build in mechanisms to have some downtime so that you don't completely burn out. Like walking your dog, I think is your dog called Dylan? Yes. Yeah, he is so cute. So I, I have Cookie and actually she's been very good being quiet upstairs. <laughs> I put her in there with a sort of mega treat to try and keep her occupied whilst we're recording this. And I recorded a podcast episode with Adele Stickland a few episodes back now. And that was all about building resilience and coping with stress or eliminating stress. And I found that such an interesting episode I asked her to come on as a guest really for my listeners, but actually I was able to take away so much of it for myself. And I think that having cookie really helps me. And I'm trying to be disciplined towards the end of every day just to pop out with her, even if it's just for 20 minutes. And I try and do that when I'm starting to feel my energy levels really drop because I tend to have more energy in the morning and I'll start to feel really tired at about four o'clock. 
And I've really noticed a difference in just taking her around the block or taking her to the little park near us that I'll feel so much more energized for doing it. It can just be so hard to make yourself do these things, can't it? But yeah, I'm trying my best to make sure I do do it. I think it is. And um, my coach says the same thing. So someone texted me today, you know, make sure that this weekend you're doing something for yourself. And I texted back immediately, I'm rubbish at this. So I'm actually, in effect, I'm, I'm, I'm being very hard on myself in the fact that I am doing, I do find ways to self-soothe. So had a difficult weekend last weekend. And I found, I, I realized that I didn't want to see anybody when I got back from a walk. And all I wanted to do was watch Married at First Sight Australia <laughs> and have some and have some um, more teasers. And that and I and once I'd watched two episodes of Married at First Sight Australia and eaten a bag of Maltesers, I was fine. So I think everybody can find mechanisms. You know, having a cud, you know, you talk about cookie, you're having a cuddle with um, Dylan or him putting like he's just about to put his head on me, you know, and just having that warmth is just lovely. So I think it's the simple things. And we tend to, in working life, think that we have to, as HR leaders, we have to solve the problem. Actually, we don't put ourselves first. And if we're not feeling energized and motivated and finding that joy, how can we then be the face, the voice of that culture? It's impossible, right? Absolutely. Joe. I'm now feeling I should have invited you on as a guest for the first episode to set up the whole reason that I created the podcast or one of the reasons I created it. So thank you so much for your insights into yeah, what a challenge it can be for us to look after ourselves, but how important it is. And I have this awful feeling that I could actually use up all of our time today talking about well-being. So I'm going to rein it in for a moment and bring us back to the topic that you're here for, which is succession planning. And I knew from the minute I started the podcast that I would hope to have you on as a guest because I know that you just have such a wealth of expertise and also exciting ideas and creativity. But you have expertise across so many different topics. I was thinking, gosh, what am I going to do? Like, can I ask Joe to come on for about 15 episodes? And maybe if this ends up running for 15 years, that would be a good idea. But then I thought back to our first ever conversation and I said, what is the thing you enjoy the most? And you said succession planning. So it made complete sense to ask you if you're happy to talk about that. And not only do I know that it's something you enjoy, you have actually created some incredible free resources for the HR community to do with succession planning, which you very kindly shared with me as well. So I know that you have a succession planning white paper and also, really excitingly, a 30-day WhatsApp course, which is something I've never seen before. Yeah, it's it's definitely the area that plays to, I suppose, the purpose of the business. And if you think about unlocking the potential in people and that being the you know the core mission and purpose of let's talk talent succession planning for me goes to the heart of it because most organizations look at high performance they look at performance and they say we've got you know some really talented individuals and you go to an exec meeting and they'll go you know everyone in my um, directorate is is you know high potential and when you dig under the surface what they're actually talking about is high performance which is the role that that person is doing now. 
where succession planning and the magic happens is where you put performance and potential together and you say these are the five attributes in effect that drive potential and where's the gap because not everybody wants to be a future leader not everyone can be the next ceo it's the philosophy of that talent is universal everybody is talented therefore potential for what eliminates that that gray area of performance you deal with performance in a different way because that's the role that you want them to develop now and 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 be part of succession planning is planning for the future it's looking and saying where do the people on my bench where can they potentially go and where am i as a manager you know use the analogy of a football team you know where have i got my best striker am i playing my best striker in the best role or have i got my best striker actually as a defender i think it's really important to distinguish performance from potential and succession planning for me is that gift because it's our role as leaders to find the person that replaces us i want to develop people in my business that can succeed me and that can take that mantra on because that's the true legacy that you leave ultimately and we don't do enough of that discussion within organizations yes i know from well doing your whatsapp course and also reading through your white paper that you disagree, not entirely, but you're not massively keen on the idea of the nine box grid, which is a very traditional way. And it's the way that I had been taught to do succession planning before and the mechanism that we've used in companies I've worked for before for doing succession planning. So for anyone listening, I know a lot of people will be familiar with the nine box grid, (laughs) but for anyone who isn't, would you mind just quickly running through what that is and actually why you don't think that's the best method for doing succession planning? So the nine box grid works on two axes, ultimately, performance in the X and potential on the Y. And what it does is measure low, medium and high performance, low, medium and high potential. Well, there lies the misnomer. How can you say that someone, you can say someone is low performance, but how can you say they're a low po? They've got no potential at all. How do you have that conversation with someone to say, I don't think you've got the right potential, but I think you're a great performer. It drives and it's really stick. It's, it's icky in having that conversation. And a lot of managers find it really difficult. And what you find is that no one, no one goes into that box. And you tend to find that everyone is up in the, in the top right of high performance and high potential. And you're in a box. And I just fundamentally disagree that you should be in a box. I think it sets up an expectation that you're going to get moved, which charges are sometimes in succession planning or not. They just, people want to know what the bench strength is and when an opportunity comes up. I think the individual ego can be inflated and therefore they can then think, well, why should I say if I've got all of this potential, I'm going to go out and find something else so you might end up finding that you've got a retention issue because some of your highest potential people might go and leave you might not have the roles within the organization so you're creating an inverted pyramid ultimately where everyone's striving and I think that it's static it's a moment you know succession planning is about a moment in time and that everybody you know for me there's the fluidity so what I like to think about it is 
three main areas that you're trying to identify that everyone is talent. So you've got the talented many. You've got your highly regarded specialist, which is where you've probably got your high performers, your technical, your data. Sometimes even in HR, we can be a highly regarded specialist, right? And then you've got your future leaders, which are the ones that you want to invest in. But the nine box grid is normally used just within the XCO minus two, minus three. The approach that we take, you can use it all the way down the organization so that you get a true representation. And therefore, you are living the philosophy that everyone is talent and everyone is talented. You then build strong propositions for the talented many, the highly regarded specialists and future leaders. And you may invest more in your future leaders and your highly regarded specialists, but everybody is treated it's inclusive. Yes, I, I love that's one of the reasons I love the sound bit. I think I remember thinking I was going to be put in the future leaders box one time and I wasn't. And I was so upset because I've been working so hard. And I remember saying to my boss, oh, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> I was really shocked. At, you know, I, I don't know that I could have done any more. Like, you know, why aren't I in the box? Why aren't I being put on the special future leaders program? And at the time I was doing a master's and I had little children and she just said to me I just I don't want to push you over the edge Faye I think you're more than capable of us putting you in that box but I I don't think the time is now for you but I just remember feeling this huge sense of deflation and other people in the organization who obviously you know knew that performance that people were being measured in this way saying things like well we don't matter do we because we're not the super A players like, you know, oh, why, why worry about us? And it's not that everyone was complaining about that at all, but you can see that in little instances like that, how actually it, it really doesn't feel inclusive to take that approach. I think you're spot on. And I've, I've definitely had that in my career. But I've also been on the other side as, you know, a director of talent when you don't feel as a director of talent that that person is in the highest and you've been you know, in a way you've managed the process and that MD of that business says, no, they are, you know, and you go, okay, that's fine. They're on the list and you put them on the list and they then get, there's an opportunity that comes up and they get put into that opportunity and they go from hero to zero in a space of six months and you're tapping them on the shoulder and you're having a very different conversation, which is we're going to pay you off now because you haven't done the job. And I fundamentally think that that is just awful. And I've been in an organization where that happened, that people were given jobs that they weren't ready for. There was no guide rails around them, no coaching, no training. They'd gone from a commercial role into a marketing or from a marketing into a customer service. And they, had, they didn't know what to do. And the business was naive in thinking that because they were a hypo, that of course, intellectually, they got it. It's not just about intellect, is it? It's about emotional intelligence. It's about taking the time. It's, you know, people need even really highly engaged, motivated, driven people need three months to get to feel their feet. And if we're judging someone after three months from hero to zero, then you're sending culturally a message that is not okay to take risk. Which I think, when you look at the factors of potential, agility, curiosity are just as important as drive or insight. 
so I just think we've got to be really careful that we don't break that psychological contract um, and that we do motivate and engage and give people the possibility and we do push them to, to reach the reach their potential but at what risk to them because your boss saying that to you was being kind yes yes absolutely I think she was she was right I think it probably would have been too much for me when I had so much going on but I, I still felt really upset because I wanted that label and to be in that box <laughs> absolutely but I think the other thing that I think we don't ask in succession planning is if that person wants it. So you wanted that, right? Um, and it didn't happen. So you got deflated. Other people get it and they actually don't want it. They just want a quiet life. Because as you say, you had two young kids. Other people in global matrix organizations, if you're a hypo, you're going to then go, they want you to go and work abroad. You might not want to do that. So I think there has to be a, the only way succession planning really works, regardless of the process that you use, is the conversation. The quality of the conversation, whether you're transparent or not, and I believe in true transparency, it's whether that person is ready. Readiness is really important indicator and whether they want it now. And if they don't, it's not going to stifle their career. It's just not right for them. Keep having that continuous conversation because that's true talent management, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's one of the ways that HR has really shifted. I think if I look back through the episodes I've recorded so far where I've had guests, one key thread that has run through almost every single one of them is the importance of conversations with the people in the organisation. And I don't think that that really used to be there as such a strong concept. I think it used to be more about, okay, this is a really good idea and we're going to help you. So this is what's going to happen without necessarily doing that really valuable sort of consultation. So it's fascinating to see it emerging again in our conversation now, but actually of everything, when it comes to people's careers, I'm forever saying how unique everyone is, the things that drive us, our strengths, our motivations, our skill sets, they're all completely unique. So it it can't be that actually you can just apply a, a blanket approach or or not try to get to know those individuals and to speak to them and to you know make sure that you're doing the best for them but for the organization as well. So before I get too abstract and high level, it would be great to bring the conversation down a little bit to some of the foundational stuff. So for someone listening today, if they think, yes, actually, I'm going to stop using the nine box. I think that Joe's absolutely right. And I'm going to really think about, you know, potential and performance. Ah, what do I actually do? How do I go about this? Could you give some advice? Yeah, sure. So what I think this stems from is your talent philosophy. And it may sound really worthy, but what I mean is, what do you mean by talent in your organization? So how do you define talent? Is it in the concept that I've talked about, the talent is many, that everyone is talented? Or is it a special group? What's your data telling you? So when you think about why you put succession planning in, it may be because you're losing a certain group of people. You are, you know, a lot of people are being poached from different organisations. You might have a DNI or EDNI issue that you want to 
you may have employee data that's saying, I don't know how to develop my career. I need more support. So I think you have to define talent, number one. I think you need to, number two, look at your data and what's the exam question that you're trying to solve. And number three, I think you need to start to think about how the business is going to benefit from you doing the work around succession planning. So what's the output and the inputs that you need? So outputs are going to be KPIs, which might be we we have all of our critical roles fulfilled by our high potentials. It might mean that we are actively promoting women from sort of manager to senior management level, whatever those KPIs. But then there's also outputs which are more cultural. So that could be around having better talent conversations, for example. We need to have clearer data that's going to help us help people navigate their career, the softer side, more behavioral side. And then the fourth part of it is to think about who's going to be running the process. So is this going to be the business? Is this going to be HR? Are you going to work on it together? Do you need to bring some consultants in to help you define it? So then you think about process because then you start to build the definitions of performance and potential. And then the process is super simple. You can use anything. You could use a traffic light system. Deliveroo, for example, used the gutted list where they got their um, exec team to say, if X left tomorrow, how gutted would you be? And you, you rag state it. You, I mean, you could do something super simple. You don't have to create a massive process that takes a lot of time. But I think you have to think aligning your business and your people together, think future back in that sense, identify the roles that you need, performance and potential, and then the outputs. And, that, and that's how you would put it all together. And I love that you were able to give the Deliveroo example. I always think, although obviously these solutions need to be tailored to each organisation and there isn't going to be one solution that's going to fit everyone, it would be great if you could share any examples of an organisation that you think has done this really well. So we worked with a Premier League football team and we worked with the club rather than the the, club. first team on their talent they call it talent id and we set up the methodology for it so we used uh, you know if you if you download our white paper you'll see the methodology of performance and potential so performance over time and potential against five indicators so we helped them hone that we helped them hone the approach the way to sell it and they piloted it for their heads off and they've just they've just completed that And I think they're doing it really well because what's come out of it, interestingly, is that while they've identified and they've done manager assessments for their level six and seven uh, heads of, they've then linked it to Savile. So um, they've looked at Savile Wave and they've asked the person to assess themselves and they've got a Savile report. Out of that, they have a conversation with their manager about what their manager assessed them and what they assess themselves. And they then get put into five career paths. And then there's deals, so learning interventions related to each of those career paths. So what I love about that is that they've taken talent identification and they've linked it through their uh, performance approach. They've linked it into their careers 
approach. So it feels completely intertwined in the way that they are helping people navigate their career. But they've used some robust tools and data points to back up, to give credibility, to drive a conversation for that individual and for the organization. So the organization gets an idea of seven, the the talent ID of 70 of these heads of departments. So they know where they are, but they've also got tailored succession plans and career paths for those people to go into and help manage. So I think that that's a way of bringing it together rather than just doing an exercise to to determine uh, their bench strength. It certainly sounds like they've got the guardrails up to support all of the people within the organisation, which is, I guess, the opposite of what you were saying earlier and potentially over-promoting people and not putting any sort of guardrails there to help make sure they're going to be okay and keep them on track. One of the things that you mentioned was Savile. Would you mind just explaining what that is in case someone listening hasn't come across it before? Well, Savile Wave is a psychometric that looks at different factors of behaviour ultimately. And so they have a number of indicators that indicate where you might have a propensity to do things in a certain way. It will give you an idea of where you are in relation. It's globally benchmarked. It's something that um, I've used a lot in talent assessment, but also in recruitment to look at people's stress state or steady state. There's also Hogan. There's lots of different tools. It's one of those psychometric tools. And the reason why this club decided to use Savile is that the process that we built in terms of talent ID gives you one level of indication based on an assessment by the manager. What Savile gives you is a global benchmark against other people at that particular level and enables that person to have input into it and they can see themselves reflecting so it's a great way of somebody having those aha moments that you wouldn't necessarily just get from doing the talent id process i can see how that could be really helpful oh thank you for explaining that that's wonderful again for someone listening who thinks oh i'm all fired up i'm gonna throw away the nine box grid and i'm approaching this from scratch after listening to joe's fabulous advice what tips do you have for them for getting buy-in from the senior team and from their colleagues into upending this whole process and starting again? So I talk about what's the why. So a lot of you will have read Simon Sinek's Start With Why, and he talks about the golden circle, the why, the what, and the how. And I think that rings true in this. What's your why? So for this particular example that I gave you, their why was threefold. And you're going to have to forgive me because I might not remember them all, but... The first one was that they wanted to increase internal mobility or global mobility. The other area was that they um, were going into new markets, so they might have needed new skills or attributes. And the third why was they wanted to um, retain their best people because they were getting poached by other Premier League. So they started with the why. By, By starting with your why, then you're replaying to the business what their goals and aspirations are so they can't really argue with it so you're you're being really sneaky but you're but it's really important the other thing that I tell people to do is also look at it from the individual perspective so what's the individual going to get out of it 
so development and eye opening, you know, an eye opener into where they might want to develop insights, those types of things, feeling invested in, engaged, the division, so a clarity that they've got the right people on the bench to do the right things in the right way with the right skills. And then the organization to be an employer of choice. So those to be able to realize their potential as a business. And therefore, if you look at it through those kind of consumer lenses, you've got the why that links to your business strategy. And then you've got, this is the benefits that is going to give the individual, the division and the team. Then you go, okay, so how are we going to measure success? And I think you put those three elements together, then it's very easy to sell it because you're just trying to answer the organizational questions. Yeah, I like the idea of how are we going to measure the success? It's such a crucial step, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's not just about KPIs. It goes back to what we talked about, quality conversations. So one of the measures when I worked at Talk Talk was about whether talent was discussed on a regular basis in people forums, in you know the people strategy within those divisions as much as had we filled the critical roles or did we have the right percentages in the right areas? Um, And I I think that's what modern talent management is about. Succession planning for me is the linchpin that enables you to be more ambitious because you know what you've got to play with. If you don't know, you know, whenever I went into any role, that's where I would start. I wanted to know the talent that I had and I did it in my own team because by understanding their motivations, their drivers versus what the business needed, I could then make some sometimes quite difficult decisions that I might need to change the makeup. But it also might mean that I'd been missing a trick and that I had somebody who was ready and that, that I could give them more responsibility and um, more breadth. Yeah, I had someone said that to me this week, actually, when I was talking to him. It was about something slightly different. He's developed a new employee engagement tool. And he said when he tried it out on his team, he realized that he had this incredibly yeah, talented individual with all of the potential and all of the capability to progress into a senior role. And he just hadn't recognized that until he actually went through the exercise so it's funny to have two people tell me a very similar story twice in one week well thank you so much joe that has just been absolutely brilliant to hear so much about succession planning before i move you on to one of our final questions i just wanted to ask for your view on what size organizations do you think need to be doing succession planning because i'm very aware that i have got a big range of listeners. So there'll be some people listening who work for massive uh, multinational organizations, and there'll be other people listening who may actually work in much smaller businesses. So what's your thought about that? I think if your business is just anything from sort of 100 people up, I think you should have some sort of approach to succession planning, even if it's in an Excel spreadsheet. And I, so I think it works. If you, even if you just use the gutted list, even if you were smaller than 100 people, if you've got aspirations to grow, you need to know who you got to be able to get to where you need to. So, yeah, I'd say 100 would probably be the right number because it's small enough, but it's also big enough to need to know. 
but you might not do it across the whole organization and then make up to you know multinational matrix I think it, it's just doing it I think just get on and do it what are you waiting for <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everyone crack on as soon as you finished listening to this well thank you so much Joe. and I think I may have forgotten to pre-warn you about this but I always ask every guest if they can share a book recommendation did I remember to warn you about this I don't think you did but that's oh, okay Faye that's okay so it's not going to be an HR book if that's okay yeah, that's absolutely fine. Okay, so um, this is a book which I haven't started yet, but I, I listened to the podcast about it on Book Club on, on Radio 4. And it was called, I've got it, I haven't got it in front of me, otherwise I could have shown you it. It's, um, it's Everyone Died, So I Bought a Dog. And it really resonates with me because I got Dylan a couple of months before my husband died. And I really want to read it. And it's my goal, not, well, it won't be by the first anniversary because that's in January, but in my in the second year of losing him, I really want to read it because I think it's going to have a massive effect on helping me deal with everything. So it may not be a sunshine of a happy title, but the book has a lot in it that talks about how we deal with, going back to our first conversation, sort of well-being and looking after yourself and I'm excited to read it even though at the moment it's it's on my to-do list rather than my <laughs> rather than my I'm doing it so that's the book I would recommend because I think it helps with all types of stress not just grief thank you and when you do read it I hope that you enjoy it and find it really useful and that brings us to the end of this week's episode if you'd like to get in touch with Jo or learn more about the work that her company Let's Talk Talent does, I'll put links to all the contact details in the show notes. But also Jo has said she's very happy for people to connect with her on LinkedIn or to email her directly at jo at letstalktalent.co.uk. And if succession planning is on your radar at the moment, which is why you've listened to this episode, I'd really encourage you to download her succession planning white paper. It's absolutely brilliant. You'll find it in the resources section of the Let's Talk Talent website. And she also runs the free succession planning WhatsApp course that I mentioned earlier on. She runs that several times a year. If you're listening to this when it's released in January 2022, Joe's running that one for the next time in March and you can sign up to it by going to the HR courses section of the resources part of the Let's Talk Talent website. Have a great week and I will be back again soon.